My name is Megan Whitson, and my husband and I and our three boys have been attending Rolling Hills for about two years now. In December of 2016, um, I unexpectedly lost my mom. I was 28 weeks pregnant with our third son, Harrison, and um, it was just, it was, it was a pretty tough time. Um, and then I had Harrison on January 31st, and I had had bronchitis prior to having Harrison, and the boys had had it as well. Um, but I had this lingering cough that just wouldn't go away. So I went to the urgent care and um, she said that um, everything sounded great in my lungs, but she wanted to go ahead and get a chest x-ray just because I'd had the cough for so long. And they called me 24 hours later and they said that they had found a shadow. The head of the ER came in along with the doctor that I'd been seeing and then the nurse and they just looked devastated. And he, he told me that um, there was a very large mass in my chest. In that particular moment, um, after the doctors left, the nurse grabbed my hand and she just started praying with me. I've been diagnosed with stage 2B non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. My regimen was six rounds of chemotherapy um, every three weeks, and then I would go on to have 20 rounds of radiation. All of these um, life-altering experiences were all different opportunities to basically grow my relationship with God. Um, I learned that he's faithful and that he never left me. I went through a lot in a really short amount of time and really there was two different paths I could have probably gone down. I could have, you know, just gotten very angry, but instead I just chose to look at it all as a positive. While we can't go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start now and make a brand new ending. Incredible story. Uh, Megan shared about God's faithfulness, and each week as we track through this series called I Am David, you'll hear different stories of, of folks from Rolling Hills and different campuses and folks that you'll recognize, names that you'll recognize, uh, and the stories of God's faithfulness and how uh, they, like David, they trusted Christ and he, uh, or trusted in the Lord, and he moved and shaped uh, and did things in their lives um, that was that, that is incredible how he brought redemption and um, brought healing and through the trials of life. And so uh, that story is just one of many that you'll hear. And, and I'm sure that many of you have stories like Megan's and like some of the other ones that you'll hear of God's faithfulness and uh, in the midst of trials and how God brought redemption and renewal and, and, and different things uh, through those moments that, that you faced trials and struggles in your own life. And this week, we're in the, in the second week of this series called I Am David. Uh, last week, Pastor Jason was here. They're on vacation this week, and so you can pray for them that they would relax and enjoy their time away. Uh, but last week, he introduced this series and, and this figure, David, from the scriptures in Psalm chapter, or it's not Psalm, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, this David kind of comes on the scene for us. And David is one of the most influential figures in all of Scripture, one of the central figures in Scripture. It's Jesus comes from the line of David. And over 3,000 times in, scriptures, in, in the Scripture, David's name is mentioned. That's three times more than Moses or, or Noah or Abraham. David is a significant figure in Scripture. And as we've tracked last week, David wasn't even invited to the party. 
you remember, uh, Samuel comes in to, to bring up a new king. God had, had rejected Saul as king, as the, the first king of Israel. And, and, and Samuel comes to Jesse uh, in the city of Bethlehem to raise up a new king. And, and Jesse brings all of his sons before him. And all the sons are there. And they go through every one of them. And none of them are picked. And there's the last son who's out on the fields. He didn't even get invited to the party. But God had already chosen David and already had a plan for his life. And we talked about it last week, that God is, even though you may feel like you're rejected and forgotten, that God has not forgotten you, that he's already chosen you. He's, he's called you to himself to have a relationship with him. And, and in, in that choosing you and looking at you and saying, I want you to be my child, that he has a plan for your life. And so we celebrated that, that last week. And then now we're going to turn just one chapter forward and see a vastly different story for David. There's a, a whole lot more going on in chapter 17. Uh, and, and when we find David in chapter 17, uh, we're, we're, we find him in one of the most scenic and beautiful places in all of the country of Israel. In this valley of Elah where, where this battle between these two armies would be fought is one of the most beautiful and scenic places that, that in, in all of this great country in the Middle East that, that, is, that is Israel. And, and there's, there's going to be a lot that happens there. But just a quick aside, what, what I find so interesting about this moment in chapter 17 and, and what happens here is that it is such a beautiful place and there's going to be such an incredible battle. And what I think what's important for us, maybe just one of those things that just kind of slide in, it's not a point, maybe this is a little bit off script, but I think I'm watching the time, I think we'll be okay, is that we live in an incredibly beautiful place. Right? Like I'm always captured when I drive out to Nolansville from, from Spring Hill where I live, just like the gym that is Nolansville, right? And some of y'all are like, yeah, would you please not tell anybody else, right? We don't want anybody else out here. It's beautiful, the drive, other than that one spot where I'm afraid I'm going to lose my life under the railroad track, that everything else is gorgeous. But even in this beautiful place, in one of the most incredible places in all of our nation, right? This is top seven most wealthiest counties in all of our nation. Nolansville is one of the, one of the best and, and fastest growing suburbs. In one of the most beautiful places in all of our country, I know just like in this valley of Elah that there's battles happening for us. That the giants that we face may not look like a giant that David faced, but we all have things that we're facing, battles that we're facing. So this passage and this moment in, in chapter 17 that we look back on is incredibly important for us to learn and take lessons from. See, what's happening in chapter 17 is, is the Philistines, who had kind of been a thorn in the side of the Israelites for some time, they had, they had come in and from the coast. They originally were an island people. They've kind of invaded and lived on the coastline. And, and as they've encroached a little bit further in, what they're trying to do in this place is they want to they bring their, their army across Israel into Bethlehem and essentially cut Israel in half. This young kingdom with their first king, they want to cut it in half. And, and because of that, they want to, to be able to split its power and eventually overtake it. And, and what's happening here is as Saul, the first king, hears of what the Philistines are doing, he sends his army out and they draw lines on either side of this beautiful valley that, you find, that we find them in, in in this passage, in this valley of Elah. What happens in this valley is easily one of the most popular and beloved stories in all of Scripture. 
Right? This is one of those stories. The story of David and Goliath is a story that, that many, even if they don't have a relationship with the Lord, even if they have not spent a lot of time in the church, they may know a little bit about the story of David and Goliath. And, and a story that, that's, that is that familiar to us can often be overlooked when we come into this setting. But what I want to challenge you this morning is not to just overlook this story that you've known from your childhood and maybe know bits and pieces about, but tune in because I believe that God has an incredible word for us this morning from this passage. Because David, this, this story of David and Goliath is this quintessential underdog story. I mean, David is the little engine that could, right? The mountain was too big and he made it. David is Rocky Balboa facing the Russian machine or Creed facing the Russian machine when they did the movie again. Thank you for the laughter. If you've not seen it, then you can't think it's funny, but it was funny. The joke was funny. <laughs> I'll just tell you that. David is every mid-major sports team that's toppled the big name. He, this is the, the quintessential big the underdog story. But the question I want to ask at some level is, is that really the point of the story of David and Goliath? Is it really the main point that Scripture's trying to communicate to us? Is, is David and Goliath essentially a story about a self-confident, brave, independent young hero that stands against the odds to overcome? Is that really what David and Goliath is about? Is it the moral of this story, as one pastor put it, go out there and face your giants because the heroically courageous always come out on top? Is that really what the story of David and Goliath is about? And I don't believe that it is. 100%. I do believe that, that David is a courageous and a brave young man, and his courage is essential to what happens in the midst of this story. But I want to dig just a step further and ask, where does the courage for a young man like David come from to step on the battlefield with a giant like Goliath? Where does David's courage to face a giant come from? And for us, where does courage come from for us to face our giants? Because if the truth is that we are David, then David faced these giants physical. We face giants, maybe physical or in some other way. And, and we need the courage that David has in this passage to face those giants. And where does that courage come from? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in to this passage and work through it and see what God has for us this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for stories like Megan of your faithfulness. Not simply because she was healed, God, that's an incredible part of the story, but her faithfulness to walk and to trust you in the midst of such an incredible giant, that cancer that, that threatened her life, that threatened her joy and peace and confidence. But she remained steadfast and trusted you. Not that she was without fear, but she was confident and she courage to trust you. And there's so many other stories that are like that in this room of people who were scared to death, but they trusted you. Father, I thank you for songs that we sing that declare that our fear has no, has no place to stand when we stand in your love, that, God, that you are the great I am. I, Father, I thank you for, for the 
the opportunity to raise our hands in celebration of your great name, that you are the I am. And I pray this morning as we open this passage, this familiar passage, that, God, you would move us in to listen and hear something that might, we might not have ever picked up before, something that, that maybe if we just tune in and hear your voice again, that there's something incredible for us this morning that's beyond just a good underdog story. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. The first thing that, that I think is clear in this passage that we can see that David's courage comes from this is that David knows God as more powerful. David knows God is more powerful. Let me explain what I mean by that. David knows that God is more powerful. We were here on the front lines facing, against the, facing off against the Philistines. These guys, like I said, have been a thorn in the side of the Israelites for uh, ages as, as the people of Israel has formed and shaped. And now they have a, a king. They've, they've always had this battle, these, these skirmishes between these two guys, these two armies. And Saul's army on one side and the Philistines on the other. And what happens for the Philistines is they employ kind of a different type of battle a different tactic for battle. Rather than having all this bloodshed where everybody just rushes into the valley and they all fight it out and there's bodies scattered, they send one warrior out and they call for one warrior from the other side. And it's just a winner-take-all battle. It's WWE at the end, right? One guy comes out with the belt. And so that's what's happening here is they've called it. This Philistines have this incredible weapon, this, this human, this giant. He's a killing machine named Goliath. And Goliath, if you look in Scripture and do the math, and some people that are way smarter than me have figured this out, that Goliath is probably somewhere around 9 foot 9 inches tall, which would, which would usurp the, the largest man in recorded history that we have. He, he's much taller than anybody that we've ever walked around in, in, in the United States or, or any other country, for that matter, at, at this point in history. He's huge, an incredible specimen of man. The armor that he's, that he we, that he's wearing that's described in Scripture is over 150 pounds. I mean, if you just do the math on this guy at nine foot nine inches tall, the largest man, we'll see a picture of him in just a second. The largest man in history was eight foot 11 inches tall. He was upwards of 490 pounds at 22 years old before he passed away. So you can just assume that Goliath is in the neighborhood of 500 pounds. And the armor that he wears is 150 pounds, which would outweigh most of the men in the Israelite armor that, or Israelite army that stood on the cliff on the other side of this valley. He was Enormous, enormous. Just to give us a little bit of a, a picture of who, what this might look like. I've got a picture of a couple of guys. I'm going to step up just a little bit. Hopefully there's no squeal because of it, right? Close your ears maybe. This is uh, Kevin Hart, Shaquille O'Neal, and uh, what's his first name? It's something Waldo, uh, let's see, Robert Wadlow. So Robert is 8 foot 11 inches tall. He's the largest man. This is a wax figure. This is not him. He died many years ago. Shaquille O'Neal is 7 foot 1. I've seen Shaquille O'Neal in person. It's the most incredible human figure. I mean, it's in, it's, he's enormous. And then Kevin Hart, 5 foot 4. I mean, it's humorous. Poor Kevin. His laughter is much taller than that, right? His humor is much taller. But if you, if you just do the math for us, I mean, just, to, just, just do a little bit of the math for, for this passage. David is a young man, a teenage man, so he's not a full-grown Israelite man yet. 
Most Israelite men, if, if you look in Scripture, or not look in Scripture, but if you just do the study, most Israelite men average out at about 5'9", so that's kind of the, the tallest, that's, that's the top end of that average, right? Saul, when, they, when, he called, when the people called Saul to be their king, he was above average. He was head and shoulders over all of the people of Israel, so he could have been 6'2", 6'3", maybe 6'4", something like that. But, but, he's, but Saul's a pretty big man, and he towers over most Israelite men at 5'9". But David... At this time, is not even, he's not a full-grown man. He's a, an adolescent between 15 and 18 years old. He's got a couple years to grow, more than likely. And so you can say that, that more than likely, David is about 5'4", which is the height of Kevin Hart here. And if you add 9 or 10 inches to Robert, this tallest man, you get what might be the picture of David standing against Goliath. And not only was he huge, he was a trained killer. It's possible that all that Goliath ever knew was eating, drinking, and fighting. I mean, he was a man's man, a, a man who, who had put people down before. He was willing to do it again. He was a, a, a fighter, a warrior. And so you can understand while when he comes out from the valley and stands in the valley or comes out from the hills and stands in the valley of Elam and hollers out to the Israelite men on the other side and says, hey, why don't you come out here and fight me? You can imagine why these men are terrified. I would be terrified. I don't think any of us in here would not be terrified at some level to go and face this giant in the valley. So, but on this day, as David comes out, it's interesting that last week when we learned about David being called the king, that David says, or that Saul speaking to God, excuse me, Samuel speaking to God about these brothers that stand before him, God says to Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance, look at the inward. Because God doesn't judge on what's outside, but what's inside. And David, as he steps out on this, steps out to this, the battle lines to see his brothers at the, at the instruction of his father, he's not looking at the outward appearance of this Philistine warrior. He sees his God as much larger. And so when, when Goliath calls out as David walks up, he says, he says to the armies of Israel there, this day I defy the armies of Israel. And basically what he's saying is I spit on, I, I mean, I spit on, I, I, I defy your armies, your God, your king. None of you are worthy to stand against me. He's calling them out. The most vile of, of, of persecutions and mocking, he's calling them out saying, just, just step up if you're man enough. Your God is nothing. Your people are nothing. Just bring one man and let me kill him out here so we can end this battle. He's done this for 40 days, 40 days of being berated and, and cowering in fear and asking, what are we going to do? But as David comes out to see his brothers that day, he asks a different question. If you look in verse 26 of, of 1 Samuel verse 7, chapter 17, David asked the man standing there, what will be done for the man who kills the Philist, this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And listen to this question. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The question that David asks is much different than the question that the men who are cowering in fear is asking. They're saying, what should we do? And David is saying, who is this guy? He's not, a he's not of the people of God. He's not one of, he's not one of God's chosen people. This, this guy who spits on the name of God and the people of God, who is this guy? 
One of the applications I feel like that we can, we can see is, is in here as David sees the, the size of this man. He's not struck by the size. He's not intimidated by the size of Goliath. Rather, he sees the size of his father more powerful. He sees the size of the God that he worships, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth is more powerful. David doesn't see a giant. He doesn't matter how, he doesn't see a giant. It doesn't matter how big the problem that faces him or his people. David's confident that his God is always bigger, always more powerful and always stronger. The lesson for us, if we just pull back for just a moment and listen and see this passage is that in this story, we're reminded that no matter what circumstance that we face, whether it's physically someone is, is a giant, a personality that, that may be abusive or, 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 or strong-willing you to, to do something that you, should, you don't want to do, or it's mental or emotional, whether that, that giant takes the form of fear and failure or abuse or abandonment, whatever it is that that giant, whatever it stands before you, is not bigger or more powerful than the God that you worship. David's fear, David was not scared of this person because he knew that his God was way bigger and way more powerful. His eyes were captured not by the giant size, but by the power of his own Jesus, his own father, the Lord, and Lord of lords and king of kings. Our courage doesn't come from our own size and strength. Listen, some of the frailest people in history, some of the people who've made the greatest impact in, for the kingdom of God have been some of the frailest people in history. Men and women who we read and study and who, who have gone into the deepest parts of, of the jungle to share the gospel have not been strong and mighty warriors. They've been frail individuals who trusted their God more than they did their own strength. Their eyes were not captured by the size of the problem or the giant. Their eyes were captured by the size and the power of the God that they worshiped. So David was willing to stand and fight because he knew his God was more powerful. And the second courage that comes for David is that David trusts that God will provide. David trusts that God will provide. I think sometimes we think of David as this, uh, as this individual who, who has never been afraid. That all he is is strong and courageous and fearless. That he's never seen a battle that he doesn't want to face. That he's never been terrified and the reality is that Scripture tells us very clearly that that's not David. That's not who David is. One pastor puts it this way, that all of us experience fear, and so did David. David is such a helpful example for us, not only because he fueled his confidence and courage to face Goliath from God's promises, but also because he so frequently felt fear and needed to encourage his soul again and again by reminding himself of God's promises. A quick read through the first 25 Psalms shows us how often David himself battled fear and unbelief. And so when we ask that question, where does, where does this confidence and this courage come from to face our, our, our giants, the giants that we face and the giants that David faced, our confidence and courage comes from the fact that we trust that God will provide. David knew the stories of the Old Testament ways that God had provided for the people of God in, in countless times before. He was a good Israelite young man, a good Jewish young man. He would have been told those stories and celebrated the festivals of God delivering the people from Israel. He knew that God could do what God wanted to do, and it didn't matter how big the giant was. 
He knew that God had provided in the past and that God would provide again. He was confident that God would provide. And that provision, that that confidence and that trust that God would provide moved him to action. Because in verse 32, we see him before King Saul. He goes to King Saul. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. I want to pause there for a second. And this is a little bit of an aside, but it's worth, worth taking for just a moment. And the reality that David says, don't lose heart or let no one lose heart, he has to say that because Saul had lost heart. The men on that battle line, they had lost heart. And we don't have a lot of time to go through it, but the reality is that this, this Goliath that was standing in the Valley of Elam, that was Saul's giant to fight. He was the king. He was the man who was supposed to stand against that giant. He was Israel's warrior. We saw it. He's the largest in all of the kingdom of Israel. He was, he was their man. He was cowering in fear because he knew the Lord wasn't with him. He knew that the Lord had rejected him and that he had no power to walk out and stand against that giant. But David, this young shepherd boy, comes in and says, don't lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So Saul has this conversation in verse 34. He asks him, and has a conversation in verse 34. David explains a little bit of his experience and why he knows that he can face this giant. It says that David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when the lion and the bear came out to carry off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned to me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Now listen, I know that I said it wasn't really about David's size and stuff, but this dude is bad. I mean, like a dog barks when I'm on a run and I like, I cower in fear. Like I'm nervous, I'm pepper spraying it or screaming like a little toddler, right? So David is a bad dude. I mean, I've never wrestled a bear, ever. I, didn't, I know you didn't needed to know that, right? You were, you were wondering, right? Waffling a little bit. Verse 36, he says, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you because he knew that the Lord had not been with him, that his sin it meant that God was not walking with Paul and with Saul anymore. And that their only hope was that he went with this, this young man onto the battlefield. What David explains to Saul is that I've experienced God's provision. I know the stories of God's provision, but personally, I've experienced God's provision in my own life. I've seen God deliver me out of the hands of these animals as I've been out in the fields alone at night. And I know that God will deliver me from this man. Here's one of the things that, I, that I'm confident in for all of us. And again, this is just a little bit of a side, but I want us to kind of pull back and listen for just a moment. One of the things that I'm confident in is that maybe you know all the stories of Scripture and how God's provided for, for the people in, in God's Word. And you maybe know a lot of stories of how God's provided for other people, but it's not been your story. And maybe it's because you've not spent that time with God in the fields at night to see God's faithfulness. Maybe you're saying, God, I don't know where you are. And God's saying, I've been here the whole time. It's time for you to look up and see that I'm standing here and ready to provide for you. 
David's walking into this, to this battle with this incredible giant, and he's courageous because he's seen God's faithfulness in other places. If this was the first battle that this young man would have fought, he would have cowered in fear like the rest of them. But he's seen God do it before. And if you want to see God do something incredible in your life in the future, then start spending God time with God now in the dark moments that you're facing today. Goliath will never fall if you don't spend time with him today. And the little giants, those little sin habits that God wants to say, no, let's cut that off now. These little things that God says, no, trust me in this because there's going to be something far greater that I'm going to ask you to trust me in later. But I need you right here. David had to spend time in those fields as a shepherd to be able to face Goliath in this moment. He didn't know that was what he was preparing for, but God was preparing him for that. Let me get back on track. So God, he sends him out. He says, he says go and let the Lord be with you. And David goes to meet Goliath. In verse 41, it says that, that Goliath thinks it's a joke when David walks out. He's kind of aggravated that they would mock him by sending him a boy. Right? If you read it in verse 41, it says, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in, in front of him kept coming closer to David. In verse 42, he looked at David, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Verse 45, buckle up. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with swords and spears and a javelin. And listen, these weapons, if you, listen, if you read the description of them, they're impressive weapons. But David says, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And this day, the Lord will deliver, me into, deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut your head off. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. It takes a little turn from a child's story, right? And David doesn't say, hey, I'm going to cut your head off and feed your body to the birds and the wild animals. He says, it's not just going to be you, it's the whole army. You, you say you're going to just do me, a little small boy. I'm going to cut the head, I'm, I'm going to feed the whole army of the Philistines because it's not me who's going to do it. It's God who's going before me. David is confident. David is confident in, in the Lord as he walks out. And what, what I think is so incredible, and we, we skipped a little bit where David goes to the stream and he picks up these rocks and puts them in his, in his pocket and he's going to use this slingshot to be the weapon that he goes against. And, and, and we skipped over that a little bit. But, but the point is when he talks to this giant, what he doesn't say to the giant is, your spear and your javelin are nothing compared to my slingshot. Because David's not worried about his slingshot. He doesn't care that that's what he's holding. What he knows is the one that's holding him is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's using whatever he has to go in the battle with him. It's not about the weapon. And the weapon, if, I mean, just the research is clear that these slingers, those guys who did what David would do, that these were, in, these were bad dudes in an army. That they could take a bird out of the air in flight with a slingshot. 
that, that, for, that most of them could hit a man at 200 yards and wound him, if not kill him, in the midst of a battle. They were bad dudes, but it was not about the weapon that David walked into that valley with. It was about the Lord that he walked into the valley with. That was his weapon. What, in, what enthralls me about this passage and what, what I hope that we gather is when we talk about this being an underdog story, the underdog in that valley was not the five foot four Israelite. The underdog was the nine foot nine giant. Because David walked into that valley with the Lord on his side. And you and I walk, when we put our faith in him and our confidence in him, we walk to whatever giant we face with that same father and creator inside of us. And there's no giant that we cannot face. There's no circumstance that is too big for our powerful and mighty God. We put our faith in him. Our confidence comes because we know that he's powerful. We trust that he'll provide. And lastly, because David's desire was for God's name to be praised. David's desire was for God's name to be praised, that his name above all names would be praised. This giant had defiled the name of God, and David was not going to have it. This week, I researched and in preparing for the sermon, I googled the phrase, making a name for yourself. And in 7.6 seconds, that's how much it told me it took, 7.6 seconds, Google populated 1.9 billion results for how to make a name for yourself articles and such. I read through all of them. None of them was really a pretty quick reader. 260 million of them were videos that you could waste your time on learning how to make a name for yourself from some guru. But making a name for himself was not why David walked onto that battlefield that day. The Israelite, the Philistines had no idea that this would be the last day of their hero, Goliath, and that for the rest of time, his name would be associated with this underdog story of the big guy being defeated by the little guy. Likewise, the Israelites had no idea that this would be the first day of their hero, David, one of the most prominent figures in Scripture. No one knew that this would be the first day of David's name being spread through all of Israel and, and us being able to talk about it thousands of years later. No one knew that that was going to happen. But that's not why David stepped onto that battlefield that day. David stepped onto that battlefield that day because the name of his God had been defiled. And God's name being praised was most important. Just a chapter later, when David would go home, people would sing in the streets David's name, but David didn't care about the song being sung about him. He cared about his God being defiled. He said it in his own words, the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel and all those who gather here, who gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's, Lord's and he will give all into our hands. David's desire was that all nations would know that their God was God and that there was none like him that he was not rattled by any giant or army for that matter, that he was mighty to save. 
And if, if we are David, if, this, if this, this series talking about the fact that we are David and, and likening ourselves to the, to the things that David experienced, first, we, we see that we put our confidence in him. But secondly, we've got to be people who's, who are about God's name over our name about God's praise over our praise. As Rolling Hills, it's not for our name. It's not Rolling Hills kingdom that we're trying to build. Right? We're in Nashville and Nolensville and in Franklin, not so that Rolling Hills can have a great name, but so that the kingdom of God can be, can, can be made great, that, that God's name would be glorified overall. We want people to know that this is a place that they can come and they can, have, they can experience community and, and life and hear God's word preached, but above all, that it would be the name of Jesus that's lifted high here, not ours. Pastor Jason leads the way here. Pastor Jeff and Pastor Nick at the Nashville campus lead the way in that. And our staff, not about our own name, not about the name of, of any ministry that we have or any songs that we could, or any, any band that plays, but about the name of Jesus. That's what David's, that's where David's confidence and courage came from, is that he knew that it was about God's name. And God's name was what was most important to God as well. He was not going to let this giant defile his own name. I love this passage. It's one of my favorites. And you think about this, all that God does here. And, and close the story. And it's kind of the, something that we don't want to miss. That as this battle takes place, the, David moves forward. And so does Phil, this Philistine warrior, Goliath. And David takes the stone out of his pocket and he slings it. And it's buried in the giant's forehead. And it says it falls flat on his face, and then the, the Philistine armies, they run in, in fear away from the battlefield because their hero had been, had been murdered there, killed there on the battlefield. It's an incredible story of God's faithfulness, of God using a young man in an incredible way that had such courage, but this story points us to also to the reality that God was going to send another giant slayer that David in all of his power and all of his, his confidence and courage, he was able to face this Goliath and bring him down. But the sin that was in his own heart, the giant of his own sin and rebellion in, in his heart, he couldn't himself slay. He, like you and I, we, we all have rebelled and want to look to our own way rather than trusting in God for what God has called us to. And so God would send another shepherd who would become a king, a shepherd who would be rejected just like David and overlooked and mocked. And just like David, this boy king, Jesus would, would kill the giant of our sin, not with, not with stones, not with a weapon, not with a sword, but with a cross. Jesus goes to the cross for us, defeating sin and death that we could have life with him. Our courage to face the giants that we face is the fact that we know that God is more powerful, that we trust him to provide, and we have a desire for him to be praised. But, it, but foundationally, our courage comes from the fact that we know that he's gone before us to slay the giant of our own sin, that we could have relationship with him if we put our faith in him and trust him for salvation. I invite Melissa to come, and she's going to close by sharing a little bit about some things that have happened over the past couple weeks, and we're going to worship through giving. But if, you, if God's moving in your heart, if there's something happening and he's stirring in you, and he 
and you desire just to have a conversation about what it means to walk with Christ, and, and, or maybe there's, there's a circumstance that you're facing that, that you just know you need somebody else to come alongside you and walk with you as you face that giant, that problem, or that circumstance, I want to invite you to come and have a conversation with myself or um, Pastor David, Melissa, and our A6, and some of our other leaders here after the service is over. We'd love to have that conversation with you. We're going to continue to worship as Melissa comes and shares a little bit about that. But let's not let this moment pass. If God's moving, we're going to continue.